0: Welcome, 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 listeners. It's December. How did we get here? Um, Edinburgh is delightful just now with steaming mugs of glue vine and the, the smell of cinnamon everywhere. Lights, lights and oh so expensive fairground rides. And a dark
1: grey thing lying on all of the surfaces that was snow at one point and is no longer. Welcome to the Religious Studies Project.
0: I am Chris Carter and he is David Robertson and we are going to pass straight over for our first December podcast of 2018 to Ben Marcus who's been speaking with Cathy Unkishi on a massive study of government restrictions and social hostilities relating to religion in a global context. Really glad we've got this interview and please take it away Ben.
2: My guest today is Dr. Karayun Kishi, a research associate at Pew Research Center. She oversees the center's annual study on global restrictions on religion. Her previous work has included research on topics such as identity politics and religion, international conflict, survey research, and food security. Before joining Pew Research Center, Kishi held a position at the United States Institute of Peace. She earned a doctorate in government and politics with a concentration in comparative politics and quantitative methodology from the University of Maryland. Today, we'll be discussing Pew's ninth annual report analyzing the extent to which governments and societies around the world impinge on religious beliefs and practices. The studies are part of the Pew-Templeton Global Religious Futures Project, funded by the Pew Charitable Trusts and the John Templeton Foundation. Hello, Dr. Kishi, and welcome to the Religious Studies Project. I'd like to begin by asking, are government restrictions on religion and social hostilities related to religion increasing or decreasing? And I suppose we should also ask how you define those terms.
3: Well, thanks so much for having me. I think I will start by answering your question with a yes and no. Um, And it might be helpful for me to first answer the second question about how we define government restrictions and social hostilities. So government restrictions are a wide, wide variety of measures that we look at in terms of how national governments and local governments might infringe on religious beliefs and practices. So these might be through policies and laws, but it might also be through actions like harassment or discrimination against religious groups. On the social side, we want to look at things entirely sort of separately from government actors, so social groups, individuals, even religious groups themselves, and how they interact with religious groups in the country. So here we look at things like terrorism, conflict in the country, mob violence involving religion, even tensions between religious groups themselves. So to answer your question about whether government restrictions are increasing, the answer is yes. So in 2016, the latest year that we have data, we found that 28% of countries fell into our top two categories of government restrictions. So they had either very high levels or high levels of government restrictions on religion. And that was an increase from 25% of countries the year before. Now, when we look at social hostilities, there was actually no real change. So 27% of countries fell in those top two categories but 27 countries 27% of countries fell into those categories in 2015 as well. So while we saw sort of stagnant levels of social hostilities around the world we also we saw a slight increase in government restrictions. Now something to point out though is that we look at 198 countries around the world each year and of those fell into the very high or high categories for government restrictions. That means a large subset fell into low or moderate levels of government restrictions. And the same thing happens with social hostility. So that gives you a little bit of context in terms of how many countries fall into the very high levels and what countries people are concerned about. But also keep in mind that a very large share of the world's countries actually have low to moderate levels of government restrictions or social hostilities involving religion.
2: And when you read the report, what becomes clear is these aren't small countries that are in the high to very high level. So can you talk about which, what are these countries and what percentage of the population, uh, broadly are, are falling under countries that have high to very high restrictions on religion?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. So a lot of the countries that are in these categories are actually the most populous in the world. So places like India, India had the highest levels of social hostilities of any country in the world in 2016. Places like China had the highest level of government restrictions on religion in 2016. So when you look at all of the countries that have very high or high levels, it's something like eight in 10 uh, of the world's population live in countries that have high or very high levels of restrictions. Now, Take that with a grain of salt, given that restrictions in these countries do not impact everyone in those countries in the same way. Often it's religious minorities who are targeted and who bear the brunt of these types of either government restrictions or social hostilities. But yes, definitely when you look at the 25 most populous countries in the world, many of them do fall into those higher, very high categories.
2: And I just want to note for our listeners that North Korea is not on the list. Is that right?
3: Correct. Yes. We look at 198 countries and territories. So six of the six territories we look at, places like Western Sahara, for example. Uh, But all of the UN-recognized countries are in our data set except for North Korea, just because of methodological issues. We don't have sourcing that we feel confident in to be able to capture what's going on in North Korea the same way that we can for other countries around the world.
2: That's helpful. And what would you say to listeners who are concerned? Here we are, two people with American accents. Is this a report that holds the U.S. up as the gold standard, or where does the U.S. fit in in the rankings?
3: We try not to treat the U.S. really any differently from any country. The only methodological difference when we look at the U.S. is that we have slightly different sourcing. And that's only because the State Department's International Religious Freedom Reports that we rely on for all the other countries, the State Department does not produce a report for the U.S. So we use all of the other 18 or so different sources that we use for every other country, but then we also supplement that for the U.S. with Uh, the FBI's hate crime statistics, and then also the Department of Justice's religious freedom newsletters. So we try to capture similar amounts of information for the U.S. And we also train our coders, since our coders are American, to not introduce their own biases when looking at the U.S. So stick to what appears in the sources if they have anecdotal knowledge of things going on in the country try not to introduce those um, other than really uh, specific circumstances and th- something that's been vetted through multiple different news sources um, so in that sense we try not to treat the us differently we do we are cognizant of the fact that a lot of our sources or most of our sources are English language sources and part of that is just out of necessity we are all English language speakers we don't have in-house language expertise on the wide variety of languages that are spoken across 198 different countries around the world. So what we did do a few years back was analyze looking at Spanish language sources in a few countries and going through the same methodology using those Spanish language local sources and comparing that to the results that we found when using our regular English language sources. And what we found was that there was really no difference, that our scores basically came out the same whether we used the local Spanish language sources or the English language ones. So we feel pretty confident that we have a wide variety of sources that we look at. Um, from a variety of organizations and different bents and different biases. And we try to factor all of that in. Um, and we feel confident in the, in the English language sources that we use.
2: And to some extent, I think the proof is in the pudding. The U.S. is not ranked as the least restrictive in terms of government restrictions, and it's not the least social hostilities, right? So what did you find there about the United States?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So the U.S. ranks in the moderate category usually for government restrictions. So that's surprising to some people, but some of that depends on the types of indicators that we look at. So when looking at government restrictions, we don't only look at sort of uh, negative restrictions on religion. So things like harassment or discrimination, although the US does have incidents that fall into that category as well. But we also look at sort of positive restrictions, so to speak. So incidents where religious groups are benefited over others, or certain privileges or benefits that are given to all religious groups in the country, or only religious groups that register in the country, etc. So in the US, for example, Religious groups are able to register and receive tax benefits as nonprofit organizations, and so that technically counts as a restriction in our data set. Now, that's something that is up for debate. Some people disagree with the use of these types of positive benefits uh, as a so-called restriction, and we invite everyone to recalculate our indexes and use the data to their own purposes – In the U.S., so other than sort of the registration or the tax benefits, you also have some incidents of, of harassment. So, um, typically in federal prisons, for example, prisoners will be denied halal foods or kosher foods. They will be forced to shave their beards if they are Muslim, for example. Um, so a lot of the incidents that we see involve um, federal prisons as well, and sometimes Relupa cases, which are um, religious land use and property type cases where um, a group will be denied the ability to build a mosque or build a church where they want to and are suing um, for that privilege. In terms of social hostilities, the U.S. actually ranks high on our list. Um, so very high being the top category, but then high being the second highest. Uh, And a lot of that is due to hate crimes being on the rise in the U.S., so particularly looking at Muslims and uh, anti-Semitic hate crimes. In 2016, that number continued to rise. um, And in fact, assaults against Muslims in the FBI hate crime data was at an all-time high since the post-9-11, 2001 era. So definitely seeing an increase there in the U.S. Um, The high social hostilities is something that surprises a lot of people, but... Again, sort of like you were saying, the proof is in the pudding. That is essentially what our sources are telling us.
2: Right.
0: Sorry to interrupt the episode, but we just wanted to let you know to remind you about our Patreon link. Uh, The Religious Studies Project has always been free since its inception, um, but we know that there's a great problem in academia with uh, people not being paid for the work that they are expected to do, particularly early career scholars. And we at the RSP want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So you can help if you can spare even one pound a month um, by going to patreon.com slash projects rs and subscribing we know that these podcasts are very useful for people who are teaching and people and they're learning so if you can help um, either by subscribing there or by making a one-off donation using the paypal button on our website it'd be greatly appreciated and will help us keep bringing you this podcast for free and fight against exploitation in academia but now back to the episode
2: And can you talk about how the US is faring in the region? And I also found it fascinating in the report, you really call out what's happening in Europe. So can you talk about the comparison between the the America's region and the European area as well?
3: Sure. So the U.S. in comparison with our direct neighbors. So Canada, for example, ranks pretty low in terms of both government restrictions as well as social hostilities. So the U.S. certainly has more incidence of social hostilities than in Canada. Compared to Mexico, in Mexico you see a little bit more restrictions on things like worship, for example. Um, and so it's not um, – there are a few differences there but it's not perhaps as stark as it is, as it is with Canada um, looking at Latin America more broadly, looking at South American countries, again, you see things like restrictions on missionaries, on worship, on proselytizing. Um, it's a little bit more, um, Catholicism is more ingrained in the, in government privileges and receives more benefits. And you don't see that equivalent type of singling out of a certain religion, um, legally in the United States. So a lot of variation, uh, in the Americas, but in general, the Americas actually l- ranks fairly low compared to other regions around the world. So pretty consistently, the median score or the average score for America, the countries in the Americas, um, is much lower than the average scores in any other region around the world. You mentioned Europe. We often will look at the U.S. and then also look at Western Europe in particular, but also just Europe at large. Something that we really noticed this year or in 2016 looking at Europe was this rise of nationalism. So both from a government perspective with nationalist political parties or candidates, and then also on the social side, nationalist social groups or organizations. Um, and in particular, we focused on nationalist groups that targeted religious groups around the world. So – Not looking at nationalism targeted towards certain races or ethnic groups, but in particular against religions. And what we found was that generally nationalism was on the rise around the world, but that was mostly concentrated in Europe. So... About a third of European countries had nationalist political parties or candidates that espouse these types of positions and would call for the uh, removal of certain religious groups from the country or the severe sort of cutting down on worship practices of certain religions, typically Muslims. Uh, Similarly, with social groups, 32 countries around the world had nationalist social groups or organizations that were actively targeting religious groups. 25 of those were in European countries. So, Again, these were both increases from the year before in this type of group's activity. And while nationalism is not a new concept, it was certainly on the rise around the world and particularly in Europe.
2: And it seemed from the report that Muslims are certainly receiving the the lion's share of the hate directed by these nationalist groups, especially in Europe. But I was surprised to see how disproportionately Jews were represented in the data as victims of social hostilities and government restrictions. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
3: Yeah, relative to their global population size, Jews are very disproportionately impacted by harassment, discrimination, both by governments and by social groups. Year after year, we see that Christians, Muslims, these larger groups uh, are harassed in, in a large number of countries around the world. But then Jews will rank typically third or fourth in terms of the highest number of countries where they're harassed. And especially given how small of a population they are, that's quite remarkable. The, and while we saw a lot of the nationalist groups really focusing on Muslims in 2016 as their target, Jews remained a target in Europe for these groups, as well as other uh, social groups as well, just like they do sort of year after year. That hasn't really, there hasn't been a large spike um in harassment of jews in especially in europe but it's sort of been at a consistently high level for the past decade
2: it did seem that there was a trend upward though right for for hate crimes or social hostilities against jews
3: yes a slight slight increase so usually one or two countries will be added on each year so it's not as stark as when you look at harassment of muslims in the past few years but it certainly is on the rise
2: and so we've talked about the americas and europe but the report very clearly shows that still the most government restrictions and social hostilities are in the Middle East and North Africa. And 2016 was an interesting year to be looking at the Middle East and North Africa. With the fallout of the Arab Spring and continuing conflicts in different countries within the Middle East and North Africa, what did you see in the data? And has it changed at all since the beginning of the Arab Spring?
3: So the Middle East, North Africa region is, as, as you said, consistently has the highest average scores when you look at compared to other regions. So in terms of giving you some context for what the regions are that we look at, it's the Middle East, North Africa, the Asia Pacific region, Europe, the Americas, and Sub-Saharan Africa. So compared to all of those regions, Middle East, uh, ranks the highest consistently. And a lot of that is due to government favoritism of certain religions. So typically Sunni Islam, and then also at the same time government harassment and discrimination against minority religions in 2016 something interesting that we we had to make a methodological change for was the conflict in Yemen and actually characterizing the Houthi rebels in Yemen as a government actor as opposed to a social actor, like, as we had the years before. And that was, bec- that was a methodological decision based on the fact that in 2016, the Houthis controlled enough territory in Yemen that included over half of Yemen's population. And so we felt it was appropriate to attribute actions by them as government actions since they had such complete control over that much territory in Yemen. We didn't see huge increases um, in in the Middle East in 2016, but everything was sort of consistently high um, as it has been. But something interesting that we did see in the Middle East uh, in years before was, like you mentioned, the Arab Spring. And so if you look at our trend data for the past 10 years, you see a sudden spike, especially in social hostilities in the Middle East right after 2011, 2012. And then that sort of has gone down again and leveled off to pre-Arab spring levels in recent years, uh, keeping in mind that this is still considerably higher than most other regions, at times doubling the average score of other regions around the world.
2: That reminds me of something that you bring up in the report, which i love for you to talk about a bit more, which is the relationship between government restrictions and social hostilities. Do these things seem to be twinned? Uh, If there are higher government restrictions, are there also higher social hostilities all the time? Or does it not always pair up that way?
3: So oftentimes, we will see them correlated. So if government restrictions are high somewhere, social hostilities will be high. And it's not clear to us which causes which or if there even is a causal relationship between them. But yes, in a lot of countries, high government restrictions means high social hostilities. There are really important exceptions to this rule. So for example, China. China is a great example of how a country can have very high levels and in 2016, the highest levels of government restrictions on religion, and then typically have low to moderate levels of social hostilities. And the Chinese government might tell you that these things are related, right? That having really strict government restrictions on religion uh, encourages social harmony in the country and, and reduces social hostilities. We can't really speak to that. I don't know if that is truly what's happening. You have the opposite happening in certain other places. So Australia, for example, has high levels of social hostilities, but very low levels of government restrictions on religion. So it's not clear exactly if these things are caused, but yes, typically we do see that they have a positive correlation. So as one increases, the other one increases. In the Middle East in particular, a lot of these countries have high social hostilities. Most of these countries have high or very high levels of government restrictions. And so there isn't a clear relationship between high government restrictions leading to lower social hostilities the way that you see it in China.
2: That's really interesting to me. I I wonder if you can talk a bit more about methodology. I wonder if at this moment listeners are wondering, what do you actually mean by government restrictions and social hostilities? You mentioned that a little bit earlier, but could you talk about how many metrics do you use for each category and how many data sets or sources that you use to to measure government restrictions and social hostilities?
3: Sure. So let me walk you guys through the entire process start to finish. So each year we look at 18 different sources. We wait for all of them to come out for the most recent year of data. So typically, we're a little bit lagged. So right now, in mid-2018, we are coding data for 2017, for example. So these 18 sources include things like the State Department, International Religious Freedom Reports, like I mentioned earlier, uh, NGO reports, so Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, Freedom House Reports, all other government organizations so the UK uh Foreign Commonwealth Office the um other US sort of departments like the Department of Justice so we try to cover in the in the UN of course as well so we try to cover a lot of different sources that have a lot of different angles and potential biases and we use them to uh check each other so if we see something mentioned in one source and we see a competing description of, how, of that event in a different source we will typically look at them and compare them see what the more conservative estimate is if it is something like a number of deaths that were reported we look at which source has more details etc so it's really useful that we have so many different sources that we can play off each other and compare so once those sources are available to us we have a team of five interns or five coders that come in each year for a 12 week coding process they Look at 198 countries. So each coder is given one country um, and is paired with another coder who is also looking at that same country at the same time, but completely independently. They don't discuss their results. They don't compare as they are going through the process of reading the sources and answering the questions. Once that's over, they get together and they reconcile. So they go through question by question, see what answer they got to. And if there is a disagreement, they talk it through. They come to an agreement on what the correct answer should be. If they can't reach an agreement, they come to myself or to the research analyst on the team and we make a final decision. So once that reconciliation process is over, we then have a score for each country around the world. So let me talk a little bit about what goes into that score and, like you mentioned, what the different indicators are. So for government restrictions on religion, we have 20 different indicators that we look at. I mentioned earlier these can be things like laws and policies. It can be things like government actions, government treatment of minority groups, et cetera. Each of these 20 different indicators has a possible score of zero to one. Sometimes the options are just 0 and 1, sometimes it's more fine-grained, 0.33, 0.67, etc. The coders will select what the correct answer should be. Each of those numerical values are associated with a specific situation. So, does the government have a freedom of religion or belief clause in its constitution? Yes, no, yes but with restrictions, something like that. Once we have scores for 0 for the 20 different indicators, we can add them up. And then divide that score by 2. And that gives us an index between 0 and 10, with 10 indicating the highest levels of government restrictions. Very similarly, for social hostilities, we have 13 different indicators. So things like mob violence, terrorism, conflict involving religion. Again, each of those has a maximum score of 1. We can add all of them up, divide by 1.3, and we end up with a 0 to 10 point index. So when I say something like a country has very high levels of government restrictions, that might mean that they have a score of 9 out of 10, for example, on the government restrictions index or the social hostilities index, which is what we call them. So that's essentially the coding process. Um, the 12 week period goes by really quickly, usually, and we code all 198 countries, come to a conclusion about them. We might include some additional coding variables each year about something that we think might be interesting. So, for example, a year or two ago, we looked at official state religions around the world. So which countries have an official religion? Which ones? don't have an official one, but sort of prefer a religion over others, which have strict separation of church and state. And that was all taken from data that we included in this coding um, period as well, but were not included in the indexes. The indexes we leave the same each year so that we can compare the trends from year to year. So hopefully that answers your question about methodology. It's quite long-winded.
2: Very helpful. And I want to make clear that for researchers who are listening, all of your data is available. Is that right?
3: Correct. Yes. All of our data, each year we upload the full data set to our website, presearch.org. And we're also always really happy to hear from researchers that want to use our data. If anyone needs advice about how to recalculate our indexes, if there are certain uh, indicators that might be more useful to be taken out of the index for your research purposes, we're always really happy to hear from researchers and to, to help any way that we can.
2: That's very helpful. Thank you. I wonder if you can just mention, so you, you mentioned that Australia, the United States are very high on the social hostilities. Is that because data is more freely available for the United States and Australia Australia compared to, say, Iran or, or Yemen? Does the availability of data seem to have an effect on which countries are ranked high or low?
3: So that's a great question. And that's something that we were worried about as well, looking at the sourcing that were that was available. And for the most part, each country that we look at does have multiple sources available. There are cases in which the only source that we have available is the State Department's International Religious Freedom Report. But typically, those countries are very small, typically very small island nations with populations less than half a million. Uh, and so... Not only is it that we only have the one source, but typically there's not um, a very high level of government restrictions going on. And what we find is that when there are high levels of restrictions in those smaller countries, typically the other sources that we look at will also cover them. In terms of availability on the ground, in some cases, like in North Korea – yes, it's just not the case that we can get reliable information for that country. And so we leave it out of the analysis. But for all the other countries that we look at, despite the varying levels of access given to journalists, we feel confident that we have enough information coming out of the country that we can rely on. We've also done analyses in the past looking at the length of the reports, how much information is in our sources for each country, and seeing if the length of the reports and the amount of information is linked to higher levels of government restrictions or social hostilities. So your question about if more information leads to higher levels of um, higher scores, at least. What we found is that that's not really the case, that it doesn't really have an effect on our index scores, whether the reports are longer, whether the sourcing is longer, and there's more information. Usually the countries that have a lot going on in the country, we'll have more sources available and more information about them.
2: Thank you. And we're running up on time. So I wonder if to close, you can just speak about where this report leaves us. What do your findings tell us about the state of religious discourse in the contemporary world? Are things getting better or worse? Do you have any guesses about where things are going? I know that's a really difficult question for social scientists. But Where are we now, and and what does that tell us about religion in, in the globe?
3: So, 2016 marked the second year of increases after a few years of relatively steady decreases in restrictions and hostilities. So. It's too early to say if this is a trend in an increased direction, but certainly this is a second consecutive year that we have seen an increase. Now, we tend to look at things globally and we look at, you know, 28% of countries have very high level or higher very high levels of restrictions on religion, etc. But I always encourage people to look more contextually at the data. So, yes, it's interesting to look at the global picture and get a quick snapshot of what's going on, but it's really more useful to look – whether at specific countries over time, or even in the regional context, looking at how a certain region is behaving, because that can really shed a lot of light onto what the specific religious freedom issues are in that area. So for example, in the Middle East, it might be something like government favoritism of religion, whereas in Central Asia, it might be governments that are outwardly hostile towards religion and severely restricted in other ways. And these countries might have very similar scores. I always use the example of Saudi Arabia and China both have very high levels of government restrictions on religion, but could not be more different and why that is the case. So it's always really useful to look at the country specific context and to really use your knowledge from other areas of research to shed to sort of illustrate what the data are that we're showing you as well.
2: Well, thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciated speaking with you today. I hope our listeners enjoyed listening as well. Um, I encourage all of our listeners to go on to the Pew Research Center website. You can go to pewresearch.org. You can also visit religions.pewforum.org and download the report that we've been discussing for free. So thank you again, Dr. Kishi, and I hope uh, all of our listeners feel free to to check out Pew Research Center. Thank you.
3: Thank you.
1: An excellent first interview there from Ben, and our thanks to Katy and Kishi as well. Um, an important subject and one we don't cover enough of. Exactly.
0: Um, it, it, it tends to be the sort of thing that one might go, "Oh, that's you know, uh, massive stats. Um, that's the, the critical RS lens. will look a scans at it, but it's good um, to look at it." With a critical eye, like Ben did, and Cassie and Kishi did in that interview, so fantastic. Um, We're getting a a sort of run of uh, Sammy and Tom interviews uh, at the moment. Um, Next week, uh, we've got uh, another interview from Sammy Bishop from the EASR, uh, where she spoke to Manon Hedenborg-White on negotiating gender in contemporary occultism. So um we we've, we've again um genders come up um quite a few times in recent podcasts and podcasts over the years uh, but um of well, the contemporary occultism I don't think we've we've had that
1: word. No, uh, we
0: haven't and um
1: i I chipped in a few questions here as Sammy uh, reached out to me because it's something I've talked about
0: before, so i I'm looking
1: forward to hearing this interview a, a great deal.
0: Excellent. We're looking forward to our um, usual weekly response, Uh, so do check back on the website for that. Thanks to Marek and Rebecca for that.
1: And Uh, hey, did you check out the uh, response symposium that we published in Implicit Religion recently? Implicit Religion, if you're not aware, is our uh, journal. Well, I mean, it's Equinox's journal, but we collaborate with them to produce it. I'm one of the editors and, uh, yeah, so we, we have a transcript of the interview, um,
0: well, the one that you did with Temu, yeah, well, the the Tri- did with Temu yeah, on, that. um, categorizing religion and uh, looking particularly at the, the people of the bear. That's right, mm. yes,
1: and this turned into a series of responses, um, Russell McCutcheon, Paul Hedges, a, a bunch of different, really interesting people, um, and then, uh, and then a final response as well. Uh, yeah, um, really, really interesting piece. Great to to dig even deeper into one of our interviews and um, and really get into the into the weeds. So if you're the kind yeah. of person
0: like me that likes that kind of thing, um, you should check that out. Which reminds me, I really need to to turn my attention back to so the the next one that I'm working on. Uh, I have to do a bit of writing for that also agreed to write a response for the RSP site as well. It's been a good five years since I've What's done that. What's going on? <laughs> I don't know. Um,
1: but yeah, if you've got, if you think there's one of our interviews we'd, um would make for a great response symposium, maybe one of the ones you've heard this year, uh, drop us a line at editors at com, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll be glad to have your suggestion and look yeah. at making that reality.
0: And if you would like to get on into our regular pool of respondents of course, um We'd be glad to hear from you as well. We've teed up next week. It, we're well. Uh, you know, we're into December now. Um, I, I don't think there's anything more to say except just, you know, keep on trucking and... uh And don't stop believing.
1: Oh, I well, mean, uh, sorry, uh, don't stop listening. Thank you for listening.
0: The Religious Studies Project is sponsored by the British Association for the Study of Religions, the North American Association for the Study of Religion, and the International Association for the History of Religions. The RSP is produced by the Religious Studies Project Association, SCIO, a Scottish charitable incorporated organisation, charity number SCO 47750.
1: Brought to you by Founders and Editors-in-Chief, Chris Cotter and David Robertson, and our Managing Editor, Thomas J. Coleman III. Our features are edited by Jonathan Tuckett and our Opportunities Digest by Ella Bock. Podcast transcription by Helen Bradstock with audio editing by Gregory Schneider and Samuel Ward. Social media managed by Ray Radford and sales and marketing by Sammy Bishop
0: don't forget you can support the project by using our amazon.com.co.uk and .ca links or donating at patreon.com slash project rs and you can find us on facebook twitter google plus youtube itunes and other portals